You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, guys. Wow. Hey, two weeks ago, we sent our first group of uh, kids to camp, and uh, I think it was awesome. We have some of them here in uh, service with us, and we are excited about what God did. You got to see a little bit of uh, what happened at camp. That's always the question of parents, right? So I'm sending my kids to this place that I may or may not know with uh, overnight, and I may or may not know how they behave or what they're doing or uh, was it worth it. <laughs> so parents, that is mostly for you. It was worth it. Um, and so we celebrate that, that uh, um, God uses camp. God uses these environments to um, teach our kids and to challenge them and exhort them and encourage them. Uh, they build friendships and they have um, really neat experiences out of that. And so we just wanted to highlight that a little bit today um, so that we could see what happened two weeks ago. I know that um, there's actually some of you here today helped send kids to camp. And so I just want to, as a parent, my kids didn't go, they're younger, but as a parent, I just want to say thank you to you um, for financially supporting um, some of these kids so that they could go to camp and making it a, a possible uh, possibility for them to go. Um, I know that they've had an incredible time. So um, welcome back, campers. Glad that you're here with us this morning. Well, friends, my name is Jonathan. I serve as the executive pastor here at North Valley, and uh, we got to hear from Pastor Ian last week, and um, the reason is because Ryan is on vacation, and so during the summer, just like many of you, we uh, try as best we can to escape the heat. Um, no, really, we, uh, we want to take some breaks, um, just like you want to take some breaks. It's important for uh, Ryan to take a break, and so he's back in Arkansas with his family, spending some good family time, um, doing some redneck things, so... Be assured we will have a new pool of stories that will be well worth it. Um, So it's a privilege to be here today. And um, hey, here's what I'm excited about is uh, we're going to get a little bit of uh, New Test—I mean Old Testament today. And so it's going to be fun. Um, but here's, uh, here's what I want to make sure we are all on the same page. And so I don't want to leave anybody um, out. And so what I want to do before we really jump in to the meat of this morning is I just want to set the stage so that you know what's going on. Okay, so we're going to do just a, a, the briefest Old Testament survey you have ever heard, but it will help get us uh, to where we want to be today. And so um, just as a reminder, we're in our series, Making a Difference. And so Ryan kicked this off for us. And uh, one of the key things that we learned is even a small thing can make a big difference. Um, and then uh, Ian helped, helped even uh, put more flesh on that picture for us. And one of the things that he said that has just stuck with me is, remember when Jesus and his disciples were feeding the multitude and, and, and uh, Ian said, hey, they brought their sack lunch. Like, I can identify with that. Um, I can identify with just the sack lunch. And um, sack lunches aren't glorious. Like, they get the job done but they're not the, they're not the five course meal, right? Um, but Jesus, God uses those um, because he is the miracle worker. Um, and so those two things have stuck with me. I hope that some of this series is sticking with you. And today uh, we're going to be talking about, um, I've titled this, Will They Know? And I want that to set a little bit in your mind. Um, but more than that, I want it to sit on your heart just a little bit. Um, So we're going to have some fun today. Uh, Here we go um, from the Old Testament. Here's what's going on. So God creates the world. Okay, we're starting at the very beginning. God creates the world. And then God wants to have a testimony to his creation that he is God. 
And so what he decides is that he is going to use a certain people group. So he's not going to use all people groups, but he's going to use a certain people group. And he says, you will be my people. And your purpose is to let the rest of the peoples of the world know that I exist. You're my testimony. So God could have done it any way he wanted to, but he decided he wanted to use people. And so uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, he called this guy Abraham. Well, it was actually Abram. He changes his name, gives him a new purpose in life and says, I'm going to use you. And you're going you're gonna to be the father of a lot of people. You're actually going to be the father of an entire nation. And it was a nation of Israel. And so as God um, uses these people, he says, you're, the way you do life is just going to look a little bit different from everybody else. And again, the purpose is that I want you to be the testimony to everybody else that I exist. And so in order to do that, you just need to structure your life a little bit different. Where we're going to pick up the story today is uh, there's this guy, Moses, and Moses is a key character because God uses him to, to take his people, Israel, and free them from slavery. So they were in Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt. It was not a pretty time. It was not a fun existence. In, 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 a, in a sense, if you think about it, they had their sack lunches every day, but that's about all that they had in their existence. It just was not uh, a glorious, rich, lavish lifestyle that they uh, were experiencing. And so God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to free my people, but I'm not just going to get them out of slavery, like set them to, you know, maybe take them from the negative and bring them back to zero. I'm going to take them into the positive. I'm going to take them to this land that is a lush land, very fertile, and I'm going to give them an inheritance And what's even better is they're not going to work for it. It's just my grace in their life. I'm just going to bless them because I'm God and they are my people. So God uses Moses and they come out of Egypt. But if you remember the story, they don't come straight from Egypt into the promised land. There's this 40 years of wandering. What's going on during this time is um, there was some lack of obedience. And God calls it out and says, because you have not been obedient to me, There's a generation of you that are not going to get to experience the inheritance, but it's okay. I'm still blessing your heritage and that your children get to experience my blessing and they will get the promised land. They get to enter it. But what's amazing is during this time, don't think of it just as this negative doom and gloom, God's being mean. God's actually developing within his people a lifestyle practice that he wants to see carried on, and that is obedience and trust. So while they're walking around in the desert, seemingly aimlessly, they are learning how to trust God. I don't know if you've tried it. If you haven't, give it a shot. Find the nearest wash near your house and try to plant a garden there and see what grows. Nothing worth eating will grow. That was it. They were in the desert, friends. They were in the desert and they didn't have food but God provided food for them. They were in the desert and they didn't know which way to go. Okay. They, they didn't, they didn't have Siri. Hey Siri, where's the promised land? They didn't have Siri. They didn't know where to go. So God manifested a cloud of smoke and fire to guide them. So in this 40 years, they are learning how to trust God. And then they find themselves on the verge. They are ready to cross over into the promised land, their inheritance. This is what they've been waiting for. And um, they have this, uh, this experience where God meets with Moses on a mountain and he gives him the Ten Commandments. Now, probably some of you guys just got scared, right? 
the Ten Commandments, one of those sermons again. No, I'm not going to focus on the Ten Commandments. But again, this was God's way of helping his people say, this is how I want you to structure your lives. What's, what happened at that, at that mountain is key. The entire nation of Israel said to Moses, hey, you go up and meet with God. We're too scared to do that. I'm with, I'm with them. I'm too scared to do that. You go meet with God, but here's our commitment to you. Whatever God tells you to tell us, we will do. And so Moses goes up on the mountain. He, re, he, he, he meets with God. And then he comes down to the people and says, this is what God told me. So this is where we're going to pick it up. All right. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter six. That's Old Testament. If you look at my Bible, you don't have to go very far. Deuteronomy chapter six. If you don't have a Bible with you uh, on your program, we have the crux of the passage there. But I just want to let you know, guys, on our information table, we have some Bibles out there. Feel free to grab one. That's our gift to you. So you don't have to turn it back in. Take it with you. We want you to have a Bible so you can read God's word. So we are in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 1 and read all the way through verse 9. So here we go, Deuteronomy 6. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says, Now, remember you told me to go up on the mountain, and God told me some things, so here it is. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God you and your son and your son's son by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey here. Oh, I would be fine with that guys, milk and honey. That's my diet, but really he's just meaning lots of food there. Just, I'm not Winnie the Pooh. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as the sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right. So what is going on there? What's going on there? Um, here's, this, this text is so rich, guys. When, when I started studying this, there's so much here. Like, this is worth probably a year's worth of sermons, okay? There's a lot going on in this passage. But I want to hone in on something that I think is, is the, a, a key component that is actually a thread that we see all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's a pervasive thread that makes up the fabric of faith in Jesus Christ and following God, okay? Um, And the other reason that I think this is so important is because there's a cultural trend that I want to make sure I raise awareness to so that we as a church family are aware of it and can begin doing battle with it. Now, I chose that word carefully. We need to do battle. We need to do battle because it's not something that we can just stand passively by and pretend like it's not happening. And what I want to do is help you guys, I want to help raise the awareness, and I kind of want to get you stirred up a little bit over this, because I'm stirred up a little bit over this. But it's a good stirring that's going to happen today, okay? So let me, let me, uh, let me explain uh, kind of what's going on. I'm go- I want to read you two, two other passages, um, and, I, and here's, here's what I want you to, to start honing in on. Did you hear that when Moses is talking to the people that he said, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. 
That's grandchildren. I looked it up. It's good. It's grandchildren. So there's a generational passing along here. Listen to um, what the psalmist says in uh, Psalm chapter 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Just following this time, so as Moses is standing before the people and he relays all of this to them, it's not long before the people go in and they take the land that God has promised as an inheritance to them. Now, Moses was not allowed to go in, and so they do this under the leadership of Joshua. So in Judges chapter 2, listen to this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So finally, it's come to pass. They've been wandering in the desert, and finally they get to move into the land. It's their inheritance, and they get to take it on. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. That's a good life. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Now, this language, it, it loses a little bit of its meaning with us because um, we're, not, we're not as much of a generational society. But this w- basically, this is a rich story right here where you see a leader and the leaders of a people who have served their life and under their leadership, the people followed God. And when their time came, they died and they were buried in their inheritance. And so people would read that and go, yes, this is right. Okay, this is right. And so you can see in, in, the, in the scriptures that there's this kind of thread of, of fathers teaching children. And, and the language here is very masculine, but it's families. It's parents teaching children. It's boys and girls. It's men and women teaching boys and girls, but it's the, the heritage gets passed from one generation to the another generation. And it's the hope and it's the, and it's the desire as Moses is talking to the people, hey, not just you will follow God, but your sons, your children will follow God, but then their children will follow God. In the psalmist, even those that were not yet born will, will be born and they will follow God. Do you, do you catch this generational richness of the story being passed down? That's what I want to highlight today out of Deuteronomy 6. And the question before us, friends, is will they know? Will the next generation know the story of God? Will the next generation hear of his glorious deeds that their hope might also be placed in the God of of the universe? So let's look at how we get there because I want to dive in and show that to you. So today, friends, it starts with you and me, okay? It doesn't start with the next generation. It starts with you and me. And do you know how? Do you know how we pass on this rich story? 
It starts with you and I being completely devoted to God. So that's the first thing that I want you to understand today is be completely devoted to God. Listen to this language starting in verse four. So Moses, Moses is like, hey, y'all, because I'm from Texas, okay? Hey, y'all, listen up. I've got something I need you to hear. That's the hear, O Israel. Listen up, guys. You said you wanted to hear from God. God passed it on to me, and you said that you would listen to me. So listen up. This is it. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. I'm going to equip you to go into your inheritance. And he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, right there. We've got to get that. The Lord is one. What's he getting at here? He's getting at there's only one God. He's getting at this is, this is an exclusive statement. There's not a lot of gods. There's not many gods. And here's why that's important. As they moved into this land, they were moving in among another people group that did things different than they did. And so it was critical that they understand there's only one God. You're going to move in amongst a people group that is going to say there's a lot of different gods. I think we can identify with that, can't we? Okay, we don't usually use the word God in our businesses or in our homes or schools, but there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of, hey, if you follow this plan, your life is going to look better. And you insert whatever you want in there. If it's a health plan, if it's a financial plan, if it's whatever, here's what you need to to devote your life to for happiness. But Moses goes, there's one God. And here's why it's important. Verse five, I'm going to add in a few words to help us understand what the text is, is getting at. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So if there's only one God, friends, if there's only one God, then everything about our existence is pointed towards that God. We only worship that one God. Our purpose for existing is for that one God. It's not for us. So he, listen to the language, and, and, and here's what Moses is getting at in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, in Old Testament times, the heart wasn't just an emotional factory, Okay, so in our, um, you know, day today, we think of heart emotions, like, do you cry or do you not cry? No, the heart was more of the intellectual, rational center of a person. And so Moses is saying, hey, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart. In, in the way you think your intellect, your rational capabilities, love God. Okay, it's not just emotion-based, it's actually reasonable. Love God. Uh, And then he continues on with all your heart, with all your soul. That's essentially your being. Okay, so love God with your mental capabilities, love God with your being, and with all your might, with all your energy. Okay, not with some of it, with all of it. Is there anything left about who you are as a person outside of those three categories? There's not. So that's what Moses is getting at. Moses is saying, hey, love God with everything that you are, everything you, like any energy you have to do anything, make sure it's pointed towards loving God. Any, inner, any, any capability of your thinking, make sure it's pointed towards God. Anything about who you are as a being, make sure it's directed towards loving God. And then he finishes, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Basically, just constantly be thinking about it. So first point for us, if we are going to, um, if we're going to pass along to the next generation the rich history of the glorious deeds of the God of the universe, it starts with us being completely devoted to God. With everything, 
everything we are, the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave, all of it is pointed towards loving God. So be completely devoted to God. Now, here's why that's so important. We can identify with this too. I'm going to jump over to verse 10 because distractions are coming. Can you imagine going from wandering around in the desert where you wake up every morning? I mean, in some sense, it's kind of cool. God served breakfast in bed. You wake up every, okay, they had to go get it, but you wake up every morning and here's food. Like, they didn't prepare it. But can you imagine going to bed at night a little bit hungry, wondering, what's for breakfast? Is there, and is there really going to be food there tomorrow? I know God did it today, but is it really going to be there tomorrow? Right? And in the story, they, you, you, there, there were no refrigerators, so you weren't keeping anything. Remember desert? Like, you guys do it. Take some eggs out into the desert for one night and see if you want to eat them in the morning. Yeah. So there's this like, is there really going to be food? Which way do we really go? Who had a map? No one had a map. I'm a map person, guys. Like, I want the route. I want to know destination, starting point, way to get there. There was no map. Daily, it's a waking up, getting some food, packing up the tent, going, which way are we going today? Let's go. Oh, there it is. Here we go. Daily. Can you imagine going from that to this? Listen. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat or in full, are full, take care lest you forget the Lord. Distractions are coming. Guys, we live full of distractions. Now, I didn't get this. I didn't get the house that I, well, no, I didn't build the house. That's right. I did get that. Yeah. Now, I don't really get food. No, I do go to the grocery store and purchase things that I did not grow. Okay. Can you, can you relate with me? Am I the only one here? Like, we're not out planting our garden to harvest a crop, and that's the only thing we can eat. We aren't spending a few months constructing a dwelling place. You just go buy it. It's pre-built for you. In general, some of you may have experienced something different. But distractions are coming. So Moses is helping set up for the people, hey, this is why this is important. You're about to enter a land with mature gardens. You didn't, you didn't toil for. You didn't labor for them. Beware, distractions are coming. And if you're not completely devoted to God in the desert, you definitely won't be devoted to him when there's a bunch of distractions. That's the world that we live in. How often do you look at your smart device a day? How often? I was, I was over here waiting for, to get up on stage to preach to you, and I almost pulled it out. It's just a reaction. Let's keep going. Number one, be completely devoted to God. So that's the first step. The second step is teach the next generation. We have to take this seriously. Listen to the language that Moses uses in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Diligently. The word there has, is, is a word related to like sharpening an axe. It's very, very pointed. It's not just, oh, maybe, yeah, sure, I'll teach them something. It is a sharp focus of teaching. And it's a continual thing. The axe grows dull if you don't sharpen it regularly. Diligently teach your children. And, and then he helps us kind of understand what that might look like. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. I'll just bring this into, into our world. When you're in your lazy boy or when you're driving to work, when you lie down, when you rise, when you go to bed, when you get up, you shall bind them, on, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This isn't like nice picket fence in front of your uh, prairie house. This is, think uh, in this context, the gates were city gates. And so here's what Moses is helping the people understand. In, in, in every facet of life, it's a teaching moment. It's a teaching moment. Okay, so talk about God when you're going to sleep at night and when you get up in the morning. Talk about God when you're in your own home or when you're out. Walking, by the way, would be walking in the city centers. Talk about it at work. Talk about it when you drive. Um, put it on the doorposts of your home. Is it a marker of your home, this God that you say you believe in? Could somebody enter your home and exit your home and know that you believe in God? Could somebody, um, as a church, could somebody come into our existence and leave our existence? Would they know that we believe in God? These are the questions that Moses is, I think, trying to help us understand. It's a part of everyday life. You don't have to add this whole new regimen of God belief. You just, it's just a part of your everyday life. Specifically, if you're parents and have kids, you don't have to have these like formal sit down in a desk, I'm going to teach you about God. You teach them, you teach your children about God in everything you do. You teach them about God when, uh, the, here's a great story um, that was shared in our neighborhood group. A mom was at a grocery store with her son and daughter, and they were walking out, um, and uh, there was, a, if I remember correctly, there was uh, an individual getting into the car, and the mom, uh, or the, sorry, the son saw a $20 bill drop out of the pocket, and he picked it up and handed it to his mom, and the mom said, you know, I, I was actually in a financial bind, and man, I mean, it's 20 bucks, but 20 bucks would help me. But I thought my son is watching. And so she went and returned it to the person whose pocket it fell out of. That's a teaching moment. The mom didn't have to sit down and give a discourse about who God, the creator of the universe is. The mom modeled what it looks like to be a person of integrity by not taking what's not your own. You, you, uh, you teach it to the next generation. Let me keep rolling on here. Um, actually, let me stop real fast. There's two components to that that I want to help draw out because uh, I want to try to answer the questions that are raising in our minds, and here's what was in my mind. Okay, so I'm at church talking to you about teaching your children, but not all of us have children. Um, or maybe you've had children, but they're out of the house, so your job is done, great. No, we need you. Here, there's two elements to that. There's the biological family, like I have three kids, and so as a father, I need to be teaching my children about God. Okay, but we are a spiritual family. So friends, as we are gathered here today, we gathered here today bear the responsibility of teaching the next generation. They may not be your biological children, but it's still part of your responsibility to make sure that the next generation knows. Okay? We have a couple of things that go on. Um, we do baby dedications. And part of what's behind a baby dedication is that we as a church family are, are symbolizing coming alongside the family, the biological family, and saying we will support you in passing on the truths of God to your children. So you're not in this alone. We're here with you. And it's an amazing, wonderful thing. 
Because that means that I don't have to have all the answers. And that I, as a young father, can look to those who've gone before me and say, how did you get through this? Or what practices did you embrace in your family that you found to be rich? That generational pass down is amazing. And so I don't want you to just conceive of this as, is there an eight-year-old that needs to be taught? I am a child that needs to be taught by those who are older and more mature and have gone before me. I want that. And so there's this richness. We are never done passing along the truths of Scripture. We are never done telling the story uh, that God has. There's the, the uh, cultural trend today that I just want to raise the, the kind of like problem because I can't answer it today is the challenge of outsourcing. And there's a, there are great things about outsourcing. Okay, you take very specialized units and you give them the problems that they can solve. And nobody else has to learn how to solve them because this one small group knows how to solve the problem. They have great experience. And so it's a wonderful thing. But friends, we have to be very careful that outsourcing doesn't invade all areas of our life. Because here's what happens. We, as a, as a family of God, will outsource the discipleship of our children to people who don't know God. So it's great, right? Um, my daughter's in ballet. You do not want me teaching her ballet, right? So I want to outsource that. Let's go find the trained ballet teacher. Let's outsource that. That is a good use of outsourcing. But friends, outsourcing is off limits for the discipleship of our children. Only the church, and by church, I don't mean only the church hour. I mean the church family at large. That is our role. So don't outsource the discipleship of your children. I'm going to let that one ride. All right. So last question for you, friends. This is, this is, this is really the crux. Will you? Will you? Will you be completely devoted to God? Will you teach the next generation? It's really easy. In fact, uh, I was talking to my wife Meredith this morning, and she said, are you ready for today? And I said, I, I feel over ready <laughs> in the sense that it just seems so clear. It just seems so clear. I was actually a little bit anxious about maybe I haven't prepared well enough. And you guys might still say I haven't. That's okay. But it's so simple. The question isn't hard. It, there's not this great to-do list. It's just, will you? Will you take up the mantle of teaching the next generation? And the best way to start is by being completely devoted to God. Be completely devoted to God. Make it a part of your everyday life. Will you take up the call? And let me tell you why it is incredibly important. I'm going to jump back um, to Judges that I read from earlier. You know where Joshua died um, and the people were following God? The very next sentence says, so it starts with, and that generation also were gathered to their fathers. The people were following God. The very next sentence says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil. It's that fast. It's that fast. One generation and it's gone. One generation. 
if we don't take seriously the discipleship of our children, who will? To which people group shall we outsource the discipleship? In one generation, it'll go. That's the fight that we're in. That's the battle. That's why I called it a battle, friends. We are in a fight that the truth of God be preserved from generation to generation to generation. Somebody influenced your life. We are here because somebody has spoken about God to you. So somebody took up that mantle of responsibility. And I challenge you to do the same. And here's why. Because it's the thread of, the, of all of Scripture. It's that testimony. There are so many. I, I, don't, I couldn't bring all the Bible verses to you today that talk about teaching the next generation. It's, in the, it's, it's littered from Old Testament to New Testament because it's how God designed it that the family would pass on. But um, here's one of the challenges, guys, is um, there's a very real, uh, I'm going to end with this. There's a very real biological family element here, and and we could just camp out there, and it's rich. And, And I would love to walk you through some of the things that we do as a family to teach our kids, and I would love to hear from you some of the things you do to teach your kids because we could learn a lot. And so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get back to that someday. But the piece that I really, I want to keep at the forefront of our, of our minds today because we're in the middle of this Making a Difference series. And the question is, will you meet a real need? Um, and guys, we have on an average week, 70 real needs in the two movie theaters right next door. That's 70 kids under sixth grade and younger that we want to pass the truth of scripture on to them. We want to tell them about God. But it takes more than one person. 70 kids, one person can't do it. And so we as the family, the spiritual family, we need to embrace this responsibility. And so um, my, my parting challenge to you is take that question. Will you, will you be a part of teaching the next generation through North Valley? Because we have 70 kids and we will have more that come on a Sunday morning. And for a, la- a large number of those children, I know that they hear about God during the week. But there, there will always be a number of children where they have, we have one hour on a Sunday to tell them about God. And that is a wonderful opportunity. Honestly, sometimes that's like probably triple the time that you may have in a passing conversation with somebody, maybe at work or at the grocery store where you get to tell them about God. We have an hour and we want to make the most of that hour. And so my challenge to you is consider meeting a real need by helping us tell the next generation about God. Now, I think there's probably about five questions in your mind right now. I think there's probably about five questions because any ask comes at a cost. And I know that. I know that. It comes at a cost. And so this isn't for all of you, um, but I want to rifle through about five questions because I want to help remove the roadblocks to what God will do through you. And those are good roadblocks. They're great questions. They're valuable questions because what's behind them will help. um, uh, What's behind the question is just a, hey, is it a good fit for me? And and that's a very valid question. Ian, I'm going just a little long, buddy, but just a few questions here. Um, The first one is just time. Like, hey, I'm busy. And I get it. That, that's, a, that's a valid question. I'm busy. But I want to put it in perspective for you. 
And this is the most important perspective that you can take away from today. There's three parts to it. Number one is there's 728 hours in a month, and we're asking for one. 728 hours in a month, and we're asking for one. Are you too busy to give up one hour? And if you are, that's fine. I'm just going to throw some stats at you. You can't argue with them. You don't have to like them. Anybody have a smart device? And anybody have Facebook on that smart device? Do you know that the average American spends 40 minutes a day? 40 minutes a day. Now, you probably say, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. Because you don't spend 40 minutes at one time. It's 30 seconds here, two minutes. Oh, that's a good video. That's about three minutes. 40 minutes a day. If you were to cut out Facebook one day, that's enough time for you to do something else in your life and be ready to teach the next generation on a Sunday. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. It doesn't cost you any money. It just costs you a little bit of time. 728 hours, we're asking for one on a Sunday morning. The second thing is this. Research tells us that over 80% of people who follow Jesus make that decision between the ages of zero and 18. That is our richest ground for the gospel is right in the next, in the neighboring theater. The richest, the most fertile ground for the gospel is happening right next to us. Why would we not engage with that? Why would we not want to be a part of that? And then um, there's a guy, uh, D.L. Moody. He was a a very well-known evangelist at the end of the 1800s. Man, an amazing guy. And he said this. Essentially, I'm just paraphrasing a conversation that's recorded. Um, somebody asked him about uh, sharing the gospel and people responding and giving their lives to Christ and, and, and how he kind of measures that. And he goes, basically, if, if an adult comes to know the Lord, I count that as a half because half their life is gone. They only have half a life left for influencing anybody for God. But if a child comes to the Lord, that's 100%. A lifetime of influence potential. A lifetime. Ooh, that one, that hurt me. That hurt me. And it's true. It doesn't dismiss that the adults need to hear about the Lord. But if zero to 18 is the most, the most critical time for somebody to give their life to Christ and then think that they now have an entire lifetime to influence and pass along to the next generation, that's strong. That's strong. A couple of, a couple of more things. Um, Guys, uh, maybe you feel like I, you don't know your Bible. You don't know your faith well enough. That's great. I understand. Um, you know, one of the things that I do to, to help me understand the stories about God the most is I read a children's Bible. You know why? Because it synthesizes it for me. It puts it in a perspective. I'm not reading the thou shalts and the thou shouldn'ts and the Timnath Harris and... We do need to read those. We are adults. But you read a, a, a children's Bible, it just like blows up these stories and you're like, whoa, I get it. Seriously, guys, I'm not making this a joke. It's a rich practice to develop. So guess what? If you would invest some time and prepare a lesson for kids, it will give you one, it will give you the best understanding of that story you've ever gotten. It's better than, if you read Deuteronomy in a children's storybook Bible, you'll get more of it than what I just shared with you today. You really will. Um, Second 
guys, the, the children's ministry, we have an entire curriculum. It lays everything out for you. There's no guesswork. We want you to know the story and teach the story. It's easy. If you were to teach kids, it will take you two hours a month. One hour in preparation, one hour during a service, and it's awesome. And you will learn just as much doing that as you will sitting in a service. Both are necessary. Both are necessary. Um, Let me close up. What if a kid asks me something I don't know? Yeah, that could be scary. It's okay not to know the answer. It's okay. Do you know what kids are most interested in? They're not interested in knowledge. Children really are not interested in knowledge. They're interested in relationship. They want to know, does somebody care about me enough to spend time with me? Because guess what? Children, like adults, we're insecure. We want to be cared for. We want to have relationship. We want to know, will somebody invest in me? So kids are really not all that concerned about the Bible lesson. They're really concerned about, does somebody care about me? Does somebody love me? So you show up on a Sunday morning and spend an hour with kids. They are lifetime friends. Uh, a mom shared a story just the other day. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rag on Rob and Carla Smith. They're a couple in our church. And um, they have, uh, they've been here, I think, about six months. They're not in here with us today because they are teaching the second, and fourth, second through fourth graders today. And a mom shared that her son is more excited about going to church now because there's a man teaching him. But it's not about what he teaches him. It's about that there's a man spending time with him. Guys, teaching children is not a woman's task. They are far better at it than we are. That's why they generally do it. They actually teach the lesson. We just play. (laughs) And we look awesome for doing it. But really, kids want to know, do you care about them? And it's a great opportunity to spend some time with them. I've gone way over, guys. Um, So I'm going to end with this. Will they know? Will the next generation set their hope in the God of the universe because somebody spent some time with them? Because somebody invested with them? Because we as a church family took up the mantle together. Serving in kids, teaching kids, it's not about everything you know. It's a team model. You're partnered with people. There's curriculum. We do everything we can to facilitate so that you can invest in them. Because those kids only want to know so much about Jonathan. They want to know us, the church family. Campers, thanks for being here today. If you heard in the, te- in the, in the testimony, um, Taylor was scared, but the, the, the leaders encouraged her to do something she didn't want to do, and it was well worth it. Carson shared about um, learning about those who were, who were mostly on track and those who are off track. Both need the encouragement um, and exhortation of other believers to keep going. So guys, we have distractions before us. 40 minutes a day on Facebook. You could redirect that to investing in the next generation. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for my friends who are here. God, I pray that the word that you uh, spoke through Moses to the nation of Israel and that have now has now come down to us, God, would you um, allow that to sit within us? Holy Spirit, that you would motivate us to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. 
not everybody um, will serve kids. But as a church family together, we all serve in different ways. God, would we be found faithful that when our days have come to an end, there would be a richness to our last days knowing that the next generation has been told about the God of the universe. And God, that that would be the passing on of a baton. God, help us to answer in the positive the question, will they know? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.